Well, it's always good to be in Grafrenet or Grafrenet, whichever you... I'm, I'm pretty... I'm a short fella, so the people at the back, I can see them stretching their necks over there. You're so far away. Yeah. So they made ch built churches in the old days, eh? So that the people who didn't like the minister could sit at the back. And the, the less contact. Now we build our churches a little different so that we're, you know, you're within touching distance. We went to a Bon Jovi concert at um, uh, uh, the, what, what is it now, the, the stadium in Cape Town, the football, it used to be called Greenpoint Stadium, it's got a new name now, uh, Cape Town Stadium, and um, typical of us, we bought cheap tickets. So we were, we were miles at the back. When, when, when he was singing the third song, we were still listening to the second song. <laughs> Because, you know, they relay the sound. And um, anyway, so being, being who we are, Sean Phillips, who's now the, the young pastor who's, who we've handed over to, and um, him and I come from sort of similar backgrounds. So being who we are, we quickly did a scout around to find out if there were empty seats closer. I mean, they aren't taken. And uh, I went one way and he went the other way. And then he sent a text, come quickly. There's no one in the press box. So off we went to collect the woman. And typical of Patricia, are we allowed to go there? She's always worried about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. I keep telling people I live with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Patricia. It's very, it's, you, you, you have no idea how difficult that is. I'm telling you right now. On the plane, put that phone off. They said you should put that phone off. Are you better than the pilot? You know, that kind of stuff all the time. Anyway, so, um, so I said, yeah, we can sit there. We got there. There was no one in the press box. Can you? I mean, seats, everything. We didn't have to stand. And um, when Bon Jovi saying, lay your hands on me, I said, no problem. It was that close. And um, I'm joking. But, I mean, we were closer than you are right now, those of you at the back. But it's fantastic to be in Crawford uh, We love this Town. And we love this town as much as the Ruperts love this town. We just don't have the same amount of money to put into this town. Jesus loves this town. Can I get an amen? He does. God, Jesus loves this town. And um, it's fantastic to see uh, so many people. And I know it's a, it's a, it's a school holiday, uh, Sunday. So you're going to have two services again next week, which is fantastic. And for those of you who don't know, I, I, I remember coming here when we met as a small, small group of people. And we, and we went with the guys, all the guys. I mean, um, it was so long ago when General Motors was Corporal Motors. That, that's, that's, that's long ago. Eh? Oh, that's an old joke, Richard. Okay. We'll think of another one. But anyway, uh, when the Beatles were still known. And anyway, that's many, many years ago on a farm, and as a small group of people, and it's fantastic to see uh, what God has done in the town of Crawford And we do not have in our mission and our vision uh, uh, churches in, in, in what we call platteland or country towns, but there are always exceptions, and Crawford definitely is one of those exceptions. So it's, it's wonderful to be here. Nice to be here with my wife, Patricia, and... Um,
We've enjoyed staying at the uh, hotel here. It's, it's exquisite. It's beautiful. They have an eye for detail. They understand excellence. And it's the same as you see in, this, in, in, in the building here. And very often people say things like, excellence is linked to money. No, it's not. Excellence is not linked to money. Excellence is doing the best with what you have. So if you, only, if you can only serve a plate of soup, do it well. Put it, um, I, I, you know, some people have gardeners and, and char ladies who work for them. And, um, you know, when we call the gardener in to come and eat, we put his food on a tray with a tablecloth, with a little cloth on it. Whatever you, whatever you, the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It doesn't matter what it is, whether you smile, greet someone, help someone, there is an opportunity to do it with all your might. And then it goes on to say, and people forget to quote this part, because God is with you. And that's the part people forget to quote, but in everything we do. And so it's beautiful. I like what's happening here. I like uh, the building. It's, it's clean. It's neat. It's, it's modern in that it's minimal. So this is a minimalistic look. And uh, I just love the, the way you've put the blinds in the windows. It actually accentuates a little bit of architecture there. So it makes it look really nice. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, God bless you. Well, this morning, I, uh, they're going to put it up there in a second. And forgive me, but I'll sort of walk down the aisle. And uh, this aisle's a bit narrow for a wedding, eh? Do you open it up for weddings? A friend of mine was doing a wedding in an Afrikaans community. And the young woman who was getting married was a control freak. Now, very often women are when it comes to their wedding day. Men do very little. You know, the, 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 the husband-to-be, he just sort of says, okay, I'll, I'll get this organ. But the woman, they, they plan every little, nothing must go wrong. Nothing. Nothing. And so they tell everybody, you do this, when this, and it's lecture of the... I never was like that years ago, but I know nowadays I say, listen, I'm not involved in this. Just sort it out, and I'll get there, and I'll do the wedding, okay? And um, so she told everybody what they did. As they're walking down the aisle, the groom's waiting up the front, and um, she says to her father, Piki vinniger. So the old guy picks up the pace, but too much. So she goes a little later, and everybody can hear. So as she's approaching the groom, the guy's like staring at him and her, and um, she stops. And she's, she's looking at the groom, and she says, Sun mei pa. And nothing happens. And she says, Sun mei pa. And the next thing, the groom kisses the father. And she, She forgets where she is and she lets out a, an expletive. You can work out what she said. Okay, it wasn't very nice. So this is a little narrow. Could, you could have a few problems in a wedding over here. Okay. Anyway, this morning, oh my, it all happened while I was busy talking. The mission of God. Isn't the mission of God a fantastic thing? And you know what? So often today, when you get onto sort of TBN and some of these things and some of the big, big speakers around the world, and very often even in many of our churches, 
people, people want to preach messages about how you can have a breakthrough, how you can be successful, how you can be happy and enjoy life. Now, you know what? That's all good and well. But Jesus did not come to give you a happy life. Sorry, that's not why he came. You might get that. He didn't come to make you successful. You may get that too. We need to understand the mission of God. Jesus has gained for us a relationship with God. There was no other way in which you and I could relate to God. Impossible to relate to God. And so Jesus comes to give us that which is impossible, a relationship with God. He didn't come to give us a program of religious reform. You know, um, how are we going to reform people? No, reformation isn't good enough. Conversion is the only thing. He didn't come to give us a program of religious reform, success or self-improvement. No, Jesus came to give us a relationship with God. And so this morning, I'm going to give you a very basic, simple sermon. And it's entitled, Salvation Is. If, if the most important thing is that Jesus came to give us a relationship with God, then we need to understand what salvation actually is. It's the bridge between God and man. Jesus, that's who he is. And, this, and the word for salvation, to be saved, the Greek word is the word sozo. And it, it, it means more than just um, being rescued, being saved from your sin and from going to hell. It means being made whole, complete. The way God intended for you and I to be right at the beginning. To be a complete person. So, 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 you know, when people say to you, are you saved? The accurate answer will be, yes, I am in the process of being saved. Yes, you're going to heaven. You've started the journey. It's a process. But you know what? We're not all together. Some of us may, may, may have committed our lives to Jesus 20 years ago, and we're still pretty emotionally stunted. We could be emotional pygmies. Some of us can, can quote verses out of the Bible. You could call you, we could call you renter scripture. You know, you, 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 know, you know every verse in the Bible. But you know what? You're easily upset, easily offended. The process needs to take place in our lives where we become completely. So Jesus rescues us, not only from going to hell, but he rescues us from our fallenness. And wants to bring about the original intention that God had for us. And so it's quite a process. Now having said that, I want to read this portion of scripture with you. Acts chapter 2, 36 to 41. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, have a look and see what it's there for. It's, then it's easy for you to remember. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. Now, the reason he said that when he preached this Jesus, his name was actually Joshua. Jesus' name's Joshua in Hebrew, Jesus in Greek. Yeshua. And the reason he says this one is because there were more than one. Amen. Right. So God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's that's a whole other sermon. Okay, but anyway. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Jesus replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's us. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and others who are just far off. Far off, praise God. All whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. I mean, imagine preaching your first sermon and getting that kind of a response. I mean, that's called revival. Okay. But that's, that's, that's just an amazing thing. So when we look at this portion, and I'll... What we've read there about salvation, I want to share with you the important things that salvation really is. First of all, salvation is from sin after repentance by grace through faith with assurance to holiness for eternity. Are you with me? We've got to get this. This is what it really is. It's not a just, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Forget about it. This is the whole mission of God. This is God's purpose for you and me. So let's have a look then at what this is all about. First of all, salvation is from sin. Romans 3.23, we know it so well. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God. God's intention, His glory. We all sin and we fall short. We come short. We don't add up. We don't make God's standard. We all fall short. Now let me tell you, the sin is a serious problem. Sin isn't what you do. Sin is what we are. Hello. Every single person is going to sin. I need some amens out there. I mean, we've got a, we've got a granddaughter. She's two. From the age of one, I, I should say to Patricia, look there, Adam's nature is in her already. No. This beautiful little thing. Huh? S- someone said the word naughty to her. Naughty. And she's naughty. I'm like, hey. I mean, it's there. It's in her. Like one day, one day she knocked the head on the table just to show you how kids learn things. So, and you know what we used to do? I used to do it. And then you go, naughty table, and you hit the table. And my daughter Lindsay said to that person, do not hit the table. Yeah. We don't hit things yet because she will think that whoever hurts her can be hit. We pick these things up. You see, you don't become a sinner when you sin. It's because you are a sinner that you will sin. We've got a problem. We have a problem here. (laughs) We have a massive problem. We're sinners. And how are we going to deal with it? And what we need to understand is that when Jesus forgives us from our sin, we are cleansed. Our status has changed. He translates us. He takes us out of a state 
and puts us into another state. He takes us out of a kingdom and translates us into another kingdom. It's not just that he forgives us, it's that he transforms us. So we need to understand why we need to be saved from our sin. We're forgiven, we're restored, our consciences are healed. You say, well, I haven't had that yet. Well, you need, to, you, need to, you, need to, you need to really lean into God so that, so that God can show himself to you in the way that he, that he needs to. And we need to understand that not only that we're acquitted of the penalty. It's fantastic. We are justified. We are acquitted. I love it. When you're acquitted, you go to court. You go to court and you're acquitted. But you know what? When you and I go to court, it's like me. I, I, I exceed the speed limit. And I get caught in a speed trap, and, and it's a fine of a thousand rand, and I go to court, and the magistrate's there. And he says to me, Donovan could see, how do you plead? You exceeded the speed limit. I, I plead guilty, your honor. He says, well, then I find you guilty. Bang! And he knocks with his gavel. He says, you're guilty. Your fine is a thousand rand. Hang on. I'll pay it. It has to be paid. I'll pay it. You're acquitted. You're justified. We stand before God guilty. He says, I'll pay it. In Jesus. It has to be paid. The wages of sin is death. It has to be paid. It's wages. It has to be paid. You're acquitted. It's called justified. I walk out there just if I'd never sinned. We need to get this. Because it sets us absolutely free. You see, the Greek word for sin is the word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. And you know what? We have missed God's mark for our lives. Every, you know, we still miss the mark. But Jesus hits the mark. He has been tempted in every way like you and me, yet without sin. And he pays the price, and we are delivered from sin, from the power of sin, from the punishment of sin. Praise God for that. Isn't that absolutely fantastic? So salvation, number one, is from sin. Number two, salvation is after repentance. Very important for us to get that. It's 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 10. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. So repentance leads to, so salvation comes after. Are you with me? It leads to, therefore, therefore salvation comes after. Repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Metanoia, that's the Greek word, metanoia is the Greek word for repentance. And it's a simple word. It simply means to turn around. 180 degree turn around. That's what it means. Now when you and I repent, bakir is the Afrikaans word. When we repent, we repent because we're sorry. If, if you're not sorry, you can't repent. So Patricia and I, 
can have, I can, I, I will do something wrong. Not I might do something wrong. I will do something wrong. She says, amen. She's got a horrible way of dealing with me, eh? You know, when you're married for 44 years, it's easy. When I misbehave, she looks at me and she says, I don't think Jesus is happy with you right now. I think that's very unfair. Because obviously, I feel like saying, and he's not happy with you saying that right now. Can I get an amen? So when I'm nasty to her, or whatever the case may be, and, and she responds, and I see that she's hurt. And being the nice, kind, loving husband that I am, I'm instantly uh, afflicted. Like an arrow has pierced my heart. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry. Now I can say, sorry. Do it again, and do it again. Now, we, we, we know that happens, ladies, don't we? She said, yeah. <laughs> That's a giveaway. <laughs> but we, we need to be so sorry that we'll never do it again. Can you understand what I'm talking about? So when, when, when And I want to say this to you, that God has a way of making us sorry. It's called conviction. Now, do not confuse conviction with condemnation. God never wants you to feel condemned. God wants you to feel convicted. The devil wants you to feel condemned. Now the difference between condemnation and conviction is this. The Bible says that when John the Baptist was preaching, he said that the Lord comes with a winnowing fork in his hand. Now if you're a farmer... You'll have some idea. I don't know if you farm with wheat here. But uh, a winnowing fork is a three-pronged stick. They just find it in the bush and, and, and they've got this three-pronged stick that they use. And, 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 and they dig a hole. That's where Gideon was when, when, when the angel of the Lord found him. He was in the wine press. He was in the hole in the ground. And he had the wheat down there. Well, wheat. And he was winnowing. So he would stick this three-pronged fork into the wheat and he would throw it up above ground level. And when it came above ground level, the wind, the Holy Spirit, blew away the chaff because it's light. And the wheat drops to the ground. And he keeps doing it. And the Holy Spirit. So life comes and God puts us through some processes. And he puts the fork into our lives. And he begins to throw our lives around a bit. Because we don't want to listen to him. And the Holy Spirit comes along. And in that process, blows away the rubbish. If we expose ourselves to the fork, the Holy Spirit blows away the rubbish, blows away the rubbish, until all you end with is the good stuff called wheat. Are you with me? That's, con that's conviction. Uncomfortable. The fork. Your life being thrown up into the sky. But the Holy Spirit coming to blow stuff away. That's conviction. But then Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Now a sieve is different to a winnowing fork. So when you put the wheat in the sieve and you shake it, similar process, your life's being shaken. What goes through? The good stuff. What you're left with. 
So the devil goes, look here, check here. This is your life. Highlighting the rubbish. Whereas the Holy Spirit highlights the good. So you see repentance, we, we, we get so, we, we, when we have to repent, it's because there's conviction. And then we go, God, I'm sorry. And I'm not just sorry saying so. I'm sorry, sorry, change, sorry starts in the heart, not in the head. You don't tell yourself you should be sorry. You feel sorry. And he says, I'm glad that you felt sorry enough to change your attitude. And once you change your attitude, you change the way you think. And once you change the way you think, you change the way you act. Because you live out how you think. I need an amen. That's how we live out. So we go from the heart to the mind, to to the actions. We go from the heart to the head to the hands. Heart to the head to the hands, and we begin to do a 180 degree turnaround. Now, I've, you know, uh, when you repent, you, you do 180 degree. You see, God's there, and we 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 living our lives moving away from God, and then we get convicted, and then we're sorry. We're so sorry we turn around, and now start heading towards God, not in any perfect way, but we, our orientation and the direction of our lives is towards God. Can I get an amen? amen. And so I've heard preachers say, when you, get, when you repent, you do, you do a 360 degree... T- no, I don't want anyone repenting like that. You just end up going in the same direction as you were... Can I get some amens out there? It's a 180 degree turnaround. That's what happens when we repent. Number three... Salvation is by grace. That's one of, you know, Patricia's got this habit. You know, when you're married for a long time, you learn to put up with stuff, huh? She hums. We've all got something. Amen. I'm not going to tell you what I do. But she, she's always humming. But she's always humming spiritual songs. You feel bad when you say to it. Stop that. You're driving in a game reserve. Stop it. You know, it's not even 30 seconds. It's like, she doesn't repent, she just stops. She doesn't know she's doing it. She doesn't know she's doing it. But this song we just sang, the second song, it's, at the moment it's her favorite song. Broken Pieces. Amazing grace. I can't help myself. But to be emotional. There isn't a life too messed up for God. There isn't a situation too impossible for God. Wow, this thing called grace. If we could just understand it. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 and verse 8. But because of his great love for us. That's, that's, that's the motive of God. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. We're dead, you see. 
When you're in sin, you're dead. We are spiritually dead, spiritually bankrupt. We cannot move towards God. You can't find God. You can't move to... God moves towards us. Because you're dead. Can't move. He makes us alive. It is by grace you have been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. This word grace is the biggest word in the Bible. It's the biggest word in the universe. It's the most beautiful word. We get the word gracious, graceful, gratis. They all come from this incredible... There is an acronym for it. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And everyone knows that one. I've already shared with you how Jesus paid the price on our behalf. And the, and the, and the, and the Greek word is charis. Charis. It means free, gratis. That's where we get the word gratis from. Or gratis. It's actually gratis. It's, my father used to say, oh, I got this thing, free, gratis, and for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some of you have grown up with that if you're old enough. They don't know these things anymore. I don't know what they teach them at school. <laughs> it's undeserved. It's a gift. You can never, ever deserve it, man. Have any of you, if, you know what, if, if you say to me, Today, Donovan, recommend one book I should read in my life. One book other than the Bible. Can you recommend one book? I have one book that I will recommend every person on the planet reads. It's by a man called Philip Yancey. What's so amazing about grace? It's the best book I've ever read. What every single Christian leader should read that book. Take us out of religion into grace. You see, I can do nothing to save myself. I'm dead. Here's the good news. God doesn't expect you to do anything. You say, oh God, I don't know if I'm good enough. He said, I don't want you to be good enough. God, I don't know what I should do. He said, I don't want you to do anything. I mean, how ridiculous is this? That throughout the ages, we're all trying to please God and get better. And God say, no, I don't expect, that's not what, you, 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 you know what? You're climbing up this ladder trying to make yourself better, 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 climbing, 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 better. Um, you're working hard to get better. When you get to the top of the ladder, guess what? You don't get to me. What a, what a nightmare to climb a ladder and find it's leaning against the wrong wall. He says, I don't require you to do anything. You say, really? No, he says, because my son's done it all. <laughs> you see, Nike, you know Nike, the brand Nike? Just do it. I've got a brand called Christianity. Been done. It's a left-handed tick, because I'm left-handed. It's been done. Isn't this fantastic? It's, it's God's umbrella of grace. It saves us. But not only does it save us, it keeps us. Not only does it keep us, it empowers us. You see, grace isn't just something that saves you. Grace is something that keeps you. Oh, you know, we, we, we love to hear a testimony of someone. who We, we, just, we just had at our men's conference, one of our pastors, who, who, who was, as a young boy, he got into drugs and got involved in a gay lifestyle. And his mother prayed for him. 
And on a massive drug, drug trip, he got saved. You say, surely you can't get saved taking drugs. Don't you tell God how to save people. It's not your business. Amen. It's, it's, imagine I come to his workshop and I say, I want a new tire. And this, you know this, he'll tell you. Every person, every man, not a woman. Every man, when he's having his tire, he's there, right? The, the man's got the spanner, he's right over the man. What mark you know? What mark you here? Can I get some amens here? Some places say, you're not allowed to cross this line. Stay away. But how are you putting this wheel on? What are you doing here? Imagine if I tell the people who put the tire back on my car, no, that's wrong, put it there. Hey, hey, this is not your business. This is our business. And when you and I try to tell God how to save people, he says, hey, this is not your business. This is our business. Amen. Anyway, he got saved. And... You know, I interviewed him and asked him all the difficult questions like, how did he tell the girl he fell in love with that he used to be in a gay lifestyle? And this was her answer. She said, you know what? I love you for who you are, not for who you were. I said, how was the first night of your honeymoon? He says, I was dead scared. But now they've got two kids. So he's obviously doing okay. But you know, if we could get the biggest bad oak here to, on us tonight to say, guess who's coming tonight? Hey, Al Capone got saved. He's coming to give his test. People want to come and hear this powerful t- because we love hearing about how the worst of offenders be- is saved. But you know what? I know young people who are growing up in the church their whole lives. No one's interested in a testimony that says, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was three. And the grace that saved me at three has kept me till I was 23. That's amazing grace. To think that there's still young people who keep themselves till their wedding day. Amazing grace. But more than that, It empowers you. Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God which has been revealed teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness and to live upright lives in this evil and wicked generation. Grace is more than just something that plucks us out of the dangers of hell. It keeps us. And it empowers us. We need to stay under that umbrella. Can I get an amen over there? Under the umbrella of God's grace. Because it's absolutely fantastic. And I've already run out of time. But you've got nowhere to go. I only come here once in a scruggle yard. Now, here's the point. You're saved by grace. Through faith. That's what it said. Same portion. So I'm not going to read it again. Do you know how many people say they're saved by grace? You're not saved by grace. You're never saved by grace. I mean, you're never saved by faith. People say, I'm saved by faith. No, you're not. Faith can't save you. Grace can. But we are saved through faith. And it's the Greek word is the word pistis. 
And it means a firm conviction. I'm convinced. Firm conviction. I'm convinced. And faith is a response. Grace is the initiator. God initiates saving us by grace. We respond through faith. It's very important that we understand that. Amen. And so it means, it means that we believe in, trust in, and act on what God is, says, and does. That's what grace is all about. Faith is like the conduit. It's the tap. Grace is like the water. Now let me, you've got a dam over here. I don't know what the name of this dam is. Who? It's a, Okay. It's a big dam. You got this dam gives you water. Am I right? Without water in that dam, you will die. In water saves you. Water keeps you alive, not a tap. The tap can't save you. You can lick the tap till you are blue in the face. No, no. The tap, you can lick it, you can do what you like to the tap, the tap cannot save you. But but the water, the water saves you. The water nourishes you. The water sustains you. The tap just makes it available. The tap allows the water in the reservoir, the grace in God to become available to you and me through a tap, through faith. Am I making sense here today? And so faith is the conduit. Faith is our response to God and helps us understand what God is. Quickly, faith is with assurance. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know what? You mustn't guess that you're saved. You must know you're saved. Are you a Christian? I'm not sure. Why? Because of what I did yesterday. It's got nothing to do with what you did yesterday. You're going to do the things you did yesterday, tomorrow, and next week. That's not what saves you. You look into your own goodness and your own works to say, but God wants you to know that you're saved. Because you put your trust in Jesus. This is what it says. You know that you have eternal life. It is with assurance that we have saved. Now, being assured, I like to be assured, is having confidence. You know, if we were the all blacks, you'd have more confidence. So it just is, listen, it's a fact. The chances are. But you know what confidence can do? And if you do not have confidence that you're a child of God, listen to me. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you that confidence. Romans 8.15 The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. It means Daddy. You know, when you get the Spirit, when the Spirit comes into you. You know what? My granddaughter, she, she knows us, man. We're not even the parents. She says, I want to go to Nana's house. I want to play with the toys at Nana's house. I want forties at Nanazas. That's smarties. And, and when I come, I've got three smarties in this pocket and three smarties in that pocket. And she knows. I say, I say, Emily, what's, what's Papa got for you? Oh, she puts her hand here. Oh, forties. 
When she comes to our house, she doesn't think she's in a strange place. She opens the deep freeze. She's two. And she likes frozen peas. For her, that's a treat. She says, where's the peas? Where's the peas? She has confidence that she can do what she likes. The Holy Spirit wants you to have confidence that God is your daddy. Confidence. What a fantastic thing. It becomes an anchor for us in the presence of God. And I want to tell you something. We need anchors in our lives. Amen. Anchors that hold us together. An anchor that tells me you're a son of God. You're a child of God. You know, when you look at me from the platform, you see a very different person to what Nolan knows. You're seeing the preacher persona. So when I, I can say things to him, and you go, yeah. I can say things to you, and you say, sure. Huh. Who does he think he is? But they know me. They've lived with me. How many of you know that the more you get to know God, the different it becomes? <laughs> can I get an Amen. Oh, he's an anchor that keeps the soul. We used to sing that hymn. Steadfast and firm as the billows roll. Anchored to the rock that cannot move. Amen. What a fantastic old hymn. And this thing's not responding. Then we, to holiness. To holiness. We are sanctified. We are saints. It went through two slides. God's will for your life. Listen to me. You say, who wants to know God's will? You want to know God's will? This is God's will for you to be holy. People say, I want to know God's will. Simple, be holy. We've got a weird thing about holy. You know why the Bible's a holy Bible? Because there's no other book like it. You know why the temple was holy? Because there's no other building like it. You know why we, we, know why we holy people? Because there's no other people like us. <laughs> it's, it's not got to do with holy Joe stuff. It's, holy means totally devoted to set apart it's a different book, it's a different building it's a different people amen, so agios that's the word for holy, now you and I were justified when we got saved, that's our status I've already explained that to you and then we go through a constant pro process called sanctification God's purpose for us, his will for us is for us to be holy so once we start that journey with a change of status now that you've changed your status, you can begin the journey of sanctification. This process where God allows you to go through stuff. So when things happen to you, that's God. That's the winnowing fork. You can respond by conviction or you can respond with condemnation. You can rebel or you can cooperate. I need some amens. And that's the process of sanctification. And then when you die... You, you haven't got there yet. There's the, the calibration. In an instant. In the twinkling of an eye. When he shall appear, we do not know what we shall be, but we do know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Calibration. In a moment. The gap between where you got to and what he wants to make you. Takes, isn't that fantastic? And he wants us 
to be holy. Allowing the Holy Spirit. Allowing. You, you, let, let me give you, I know time's an issue here, but I need to come here now and I've got to speak to you. You know, people, how many of you have a quiet time? So when you say to people, do you have a quiet time? When I say, do you have a quiet time? The first thing that's going to happen is those who don't have a quiet time are going to, oh, I hope he doesn't pick on me right now. And I'm not good at having a quiet time because we all think a quiet time has to be an hour or half an hour. And let me say this to you. When you think a quiet time should be an hour and you fail at an hour, you become a failure. But you know what? If your quiet time needs to be a minute and you can succeed at a minute, you become a success. Start off with small steps. If you're not having a quiet time, here's a good guide for you. Wake up tomorrow morning and go, Morning, Jesus! That's it. You say, is that my quiet time? That's your quiet time. I'm sure you can manage that. So I do. Morning, Jesus. Morning. Let's go have tea. I'm not joking. Then I go, morning, morning, Holy Spirit. What you want to tell me today? What's up? We're too religious, man. We start a conversation. And I'll tell you what, it won't be long when the conversation's two ways, eh? You need to get full with that spirit, man. Quickly, it's for eternity. 1 Timothy 1, 15, 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. It's for, you don't get saved for a week or a month or a year or for your lifetime. You and I get saved for eternity. It's forever. Now, the word eternal quickly speaks of time. It's forever. But in the old days, we used to say everlasting life. That's not accurate because that only speaks about time. And so we are saved for time. He'll never leave us nor forsake us and he'll keep us. However, the word eternal life speaks of a quality of life that belongs to the eternal age. And the Bible says that this age will come to an end and the eternal age will come into being when a new Jerusalem will descend out of heaven. And that eternal age will go on forever, but the eternal age has the quality of life. And the Bible tells us there will be no more crying, no more Weeping, no more sickness, no more sin, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more bitterness, no more anger, no more envy, no more horribleness. Wow! John Lennon wished he could live there. Imagine all the people. That's what he was singing. He was singing about heaven and he didn't know it. Where there are no wars. Watch the news. Put Sky News on when they do the little quick clips of what they cover. Every single thing is a total disaster. They just killed 68 people in Turkey. Innocent, ordinary people like you and me who might not even have a political agenda. It's evil. But that age will be beautiful. Amen? Amen? So you and I are safe for eternity. 
It's being joined to God. Like wedding. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to have the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we're going to be with Him forever. Oops, and ever, and ever. Amen. Forever. Praise God. So, salvation is from sin, after repentance, by grace, through faith, with assurance, to holiness for eternity. Why don't you just give the Lord a hand and say thank you.